So uh, we began a series on evangelism, for lack of a better word, was evangelism. We started this series as a part of our countdown to Friend Day, and we just, it was, it was Friend Day T minus four weeks. Well, now we're, we're T minus one, and a week from today we're, in, we're into Friend Day. Uh, so I want to talk about evangelism. Evangelism, unlike salvation, uh, evangelism is a process. Salvation is, uh, it, it can be more of an event. It, it, it's, it's often a moment in time. Uh, where someone is saved in a moment of time, at the very least, it's a stepping uh, uh, across a line of faith. But evangelism, that process of bringing other people uh, into, the, into your faith and, and, and sharing the gospel, that, pro- that concept is a process. Evangelism is a process. And Jesus told a great parable. Uh, he said in that parable that there was a farmer who went out and sowed some seeds, and he threw some seeds onto the soil, and the seeds landed on different kinds of soil. And only one type of soil produced a crop. His point was that in terms of evangelism, simply sharing the gospel with people isn't enough because good seed sometimes, that is the good gospel message, can fall in the wrong kinds of hearts at the wrong time. And there's a, there won't be a response, there won't be any uh, fruit from that. So part of our responsibility as we're engaged in the process of evangelism uh, is to be sensitive to where people are so that we can begin relating with them where they are rather than where we think they are, where we think they should be or could be. And consequently, when we do that, evangelism can be more fruitful. So part of our responsibility in this process of evangelism is to be sensitive to where people are. And sometimes the whole thing can just be awkward. Ever been there? Ever had the best of intentions to share your faith with a friend or family member or neighbor or coworker, and it just got super awkward real fast? You ever been there? Some of us have been there. So you can identify with this video. Watch this. I'll be inside in a minute. I'm going to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys just get back from church? Ah. Yeah, yeah, just... Been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go. But this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward. And I'm so hungry. Ugh. I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh! Maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You want to come over sure, for a Sure, I'd goulash? love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what? No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? what'd you say? You said something about God. God, God. Goo. 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 Goulash. Goulash? Goulash. It's a... You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having, you're inviting me over for goulash. Yeah. That's your, goulash. Yeah, who doesn't like goulash? I like some goulash. Yeah, sign me up. Goulash. I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. Yeah, yeah. so I think we can identify. Uh, some of us have been on both sides of that situation uh, somewhere along the way. Sometimes we forget that it's a process, and uh, what God has called us to do is two things, to discover where people are in the process, and then second, to make a commitment to help them move to the next step 
in the next stage in that process. So this morning, for a few minutes, we're going to focus on what happens at the very beginning of this process of evangelism. And for the sake of this conversation, we're going to call it cultivation. All right, that's going to be the word we're going to lean into today. When a man or woman who's a Christian, who knows Christ, who follows Jesus, when they begin to cultivate a relationship with an unbeliever, uh, with an awareness that at some point in the relationship, they may have an opportunity to help move them down through this process towards a relationship with their Heavenly Father. When we talk about cultivating, we're talking about those of us who are believers taking the initiative to build a relationship with an unbeliever. And in fact, this will be our definition this morning as, we, as we're talking about cultivation. Cultivation is simply those of us who have trusted Christ, we're following Jesus, taking the initiative to build a relationship with an unbeliever. The reason that this is so important is that some unbelievers, some of your unbelieving friends and family members and coworkers, really have a distorted view of what we're all about as Christians. And one big hang-up is fear because of the past experience maybe they've had with other Christians or in a church setting. Some of them are afraid of us as Christians, and we've earned that. And some of them are afraid of the church, and that might be warranted. They're afraid that they're going to have to do something if they come to church, like fill out a card and stand up and be embarrassed and put on the spot or have to say something in front of a group of people that they don't even know. And they're here against their will anyway, so why would they want to say anything? So there are a lot of, of... misconceptions, and and by us taking the initiative as believers to reach out to them to build a real authentic relationship, it helps do away with these fears because, and it helps them uh, kind of deal with that. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that talks about this whole process of evangelism, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bible or your app, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to put it on the screen too. Remember, cultivation is taking the initiative to build relationships with unbelievers, and maybe, you, maybe we could just kind of say that together, that cultivation is taking the initiative to build relationships with unbelievers. So let's try it. Cultivation is taking the initiative to build relationships with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's start with verse 5. Read a few verses. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and he says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his tasks. I planted the seed, and Apollo watered it, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one that plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we're co-workers in God's servant service. You are God's field, God's building. Here's the Apostle Paul addressing a group of Christians that are all fairly new Christians because pretty much everybody in this, at this point is a new Christian. They're new in their faith. They're still trying to figure out how to do the church thing. They had some conflicts. They had some problems. In fact, in this church, they really had some serious stuff going on. And I think it's interesting in the middle of this conflict and these problems, he brings up this whole idea of evangelism, the process of watering and planting and sharing the gospel. And one of the biggest conflicts that they were having is they were putting men on pedestals. Perhaps maybe Paul, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Paul was teaching uh, down at the main campus at the Corinthian church. You know, he was on the big stage, and maybe Apollos was down at the north campus on the secondary stage, you know, and he's got the, he's got the B band, you know, they haven't got quite as good a music down there. And some of the people are going across town to hear one or the other, but what, what is happening basically is these, these people in this church began worshiping these men. They were putting these men on pedestals, and they needed God's perspective about the whole reason that we're here to be involved in the process of evangelism. And I think it's interesting that he starts in in this passage in verse 5, right after he said, what is Apollos and what's Paul? The two words right after that say, only servants. Only servants. The, The word literally means one who waits on tables. 
And so what he's saying is you don't put a servant on a pedestal. He says, we're just tools that God is using. He says, because right after that, he says, we're only servants whom you, through whom you came to believe. So here's a, there's, there's a human element and there's a God element. We're involved in the cultivation. That's the human element. And then there's God's part. God makes the seed grow. God, God makes the seed grow. That should take the pressure off of us when we stop to think about that. We're just the tool. God's working through us in this process. The credit and the glory doesn't go to the tool. The, the credit goes to the craftsman, to the creator. We're simply tools that God's using in this process. And as we think about how can we cultivate relationships with unbelievers, I want to focus on two specific tools. Um, you know, in, in cultivating, there are, there are different approaches. There are different tools. I brought a couple of them because, you know, my farming skills. Um, I brought a couple tools because I have two tools. Actually, I borrowed one of these. <laughs> no, it's not the one you think. <laughs> Here's the thing. All of us, if we're instruments in God's hands, we have a specific purpose in this process. We have different kinds of experiences that we bring uh, to the table. We have different strengths. We have different uh, approaches. And some people in this room, uh, the people you're sitting next to have a different role than maybe you do. Um, for instance, this is a hoe, and it's disgusting. Um, depending on the size of the area that you're working in um, and the type of soil that you're working in and where you are in the process, this you can cultivate some soil with this at some point along the way, uh, depending on, again, the size of the area and the type of soil and the crop and the time of year and all that. So uh, wherever you happen to be in the process, you can, you can make things happen with that. This is a medieval torture device. It's a rotary cultivator. Um, this, if you're, if you're working in a small area, this can do some serious damage, trust me, because I was never fully trained on this when I first used it, and uh, we're still recovering from that. But you can, these are two different tools with two different purposes in the process of cultivation. They both play a role. They're both important. Uh, you can't you can't do with this what you can do with this and vice versa. Um, if you're like, oh, I don't really need a hoe, I'll just use my rotary cultivator, that may not work so well for you. So when we talk about the tools that God uses for cultivating relationships in the process of evangelism, don't get too locked in on one approach or one set of strengths or one particular personal story. There are different tools for different soils for different stages in the process. Let's talk about this idea of taking initiative to build relationships with unbelievers, with unchurched people, with people on the outside looking in. A couple tools I want to offer you. Tool number one, this will really help you, I think, as you build meaningful relationships with unbelievers. I think we should start right here. Tool number one is service. The Apostle Paul said we're only servants. We don't get the credit. We don't, don't put us on a pedestal. We're just servants. We think servants, here's the definition that I'm thinking of, that a servant is someone who is engaged in helping others. That's a simple definition. Uh, Jesus said it this way, I didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So let's be available to help. Let's, lend, let's be available to lend our resources, to lend our expertise, to give of our time. This is not about, service is not about good intentions. It's not about, oh, I think that's great when people serve. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are actively engaged in serving other people, giving of your resources, giving of your expertise, and giving of your time. If you aren't giving of one of those three, I doubt very much that we're actually engaging in service. Tool number two is common ground. Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he talked about common ground. He said it like this. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. 
we might save some. He says, to the Jews that became like the Jews, to the weak I became weak, to those under the law became like one under the law. Paul modeled this whole idea of common ground. Common ground is found in, for us, it's found in things like interests and experiences and needs that our unchurched friends and family can relate to. That's what common ground is. The interests, experience, and needs that our unbelieving, unchurched friends can relate to. Things like children, work, sports, hobbies, recreation, vacations, financial challenges, health issues, relationships, everything from celebrating the birth of a child to mourning the loss of a loved one. These are experiences that we all have in common. And if you're sitting there and you have a, you've been a Christian for so long that you're thinking, I, I don't know, I just don't feel like I have anything in common with the unbelieving, unchurched people in my life anymore. You know, the people I work with, the people I see at family gatherings, the, the, at the holidays, you know, the people I see at my kids' school activities, I'm just not sure I really have much in common with them. I'm going to help you here, okay? This is getting really practical. We've kind of been building to this for the last three weeks. So if you want to write this down, this might be helpful. Because I want to, if you're thinking you don't have much common ground with the unbelieving people in your life, one word, and the word is food. <laughs> I know you weren't expecting that, but Jesus modeled this one himself. He calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew gets up from his tax collector station, and he walks away from his post, which was very lucrative, and he starts walking with Jesus, and, and Jesus says, Matthew, uh, let's have a party. Let's get some of your friends together. Let's have dinner at your house. And Matthew 9 says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them. doesn't say they got together and had a, listened to a sermon. They didn't get together and have a prayer meeting or a Bible study. It just says that many sinners came and ate with them. Jesus himself modeled this whole idea as food, as common ground, because that we will gather around. <laughs> we'll gather around food. It doesn't really even matter how many of the people around the circle that we know. If there's food involved, we're, we, we're pretty much, okay, I'm, now you got my interest. Because for most of us, food and coffee, and even, I'm going to go out on a limb here, the consumption of adult beverages is a communal experience. It's just something about gathering about fruit, about, around food and, and, and drink that's disarming, and it's non-threatening because everybody has to eat. Now, as we're working through this, as we're serving people, and we're finding common ground, here's what happens. Our goal is friendship. That's the goal. We don't engage in relationships as if they're projects. That is ineffective and dishonest, and I wouldn't recommend that. What we want are genuine friendships. I mean, who among us wouldn't benefit from a couple more meaningful friendships? I mean, wouldn't we all? So we're cultivating and we're serving and we're finding common ground. We're finding opportunities. We're gathering on that common ground. Over time, we've, what, have, what, what have we got? We've got a real, authentic friendship. A friendship is a relationship where there's enough time spent together to really listen, to reveal what we're thinking, to share burdens where there's acceptance. So our goal is friendship. And who wouldn't, who wouldn't benefit from a couple more friendships? I mean, could you? I mean, don't you know someone who would love to have more friends? Matthew 11, two chapters after the party at Matthew's house, Jesus is described as a friend of sinners. These people in his life who were nothing like him weren't simply projects. They were his friends. So as we build relationships, and, and I would caution you, don't take on too many of these friendships at a time because you only have so much relational capacity. Okay, So be honest with yourself here. But as we build these relationships, as we move into this friendship circle where we know and are known, then we have earned the right because they trust us now 
They know we have their best interests at heart. We've demonstrated that by serving them. We really love them. We really accept them like they are, just like Jesus did. And we've built a rapport and we've shown them our motives. And now we've earned the right to share the gospel with them. Which sounds great, but there are some risks involved. And I want to talk about that because we need to acknowledge that. Because even at this stage, even after you've established a fully functional uh, friendship, there are always going to be some risks involved to bring in uh, the person of Jesus into the conversation. And when you decide, you know, that... um, because I, I, first of all, I know, I know what you're thinking. I can see it on your faces. You're like, here we go. I knew this is where we we're going to go with this whole awkward thing. They can make a video of my interactions too. But when we're committed to this whole idea of taking the initiative to build a relationship with an unbeliever, there are risks and there are barriers that might come up. And that's why it's so important to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 about planting and watering and cultivating and, and just creating an opportunity for the seed to grow. But ultimately, we aren't responsible for the growth. Somewhere in that process, we might get discouraged. We might give up because sometimes it takes a long time. But we have to remember that we're not responsible for the growth. We're responsible for the planting and the watering and the cultivating. One of the risks is rejection. Rejection. This just happens. It does. We have to be okay with that. Occasionally, someone will reject us because of our belief in Jesus Christ. If you engage in this process long enough and consistently enough and with enough people, rejection will come up and it's probably a matter of when rather than if. Some of you have been engaged in this process for a lot of years now and you can point to situations where there's somebody that rejected me because of Jesus. And I tell you what, in the face of rejection, the story is not over. The process hasn't ended. Your role hasn't even necessarily ended because in the face of rejection, you have, an, you have a built-in opportunity to practice forgiveness. When we're rejected for sharing the love of Jesus, it's a great opportunity for us to practice and extend forgiveness. Jesus experienced the ultimate rejection, you know, totally rejected for doing good, for helping people, for healing people, for teaching truth, for loving people, for, for that. He was falsely accused. He was convicted. He was beaten. He was crucified. But even in the face of that kind of rejection, some of his last words from the cross were, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing, so forgive them. So even in the face of rejection, and there's a very real risk of rejection, in the face of that, to express and practice forgiveness. Another risk in this cultivation process is failure. What if I fail? What if they ignore me? What if they don't become a Christian? What if I totally mess this up? Again, it's important that we define success and failure properly in this process, okay? Because this, this passage in 1 Corinthians where it says that God takes responsibility for the results. So when we have cultivated, God brings growth. That takes a pressure off us. The only way we can fail is to fail to take the initiative to build that relationship. If we fail to take the initiative to cultivate a relationship with unbelievers and then to speak the truth and share the gospel when we're given the opportunity, that's the only place that we fail. If we fail to take the initiative to take those steps in that relationship. But when we realize the big picture, when we begin to see as God sees it, Paul says it was God who made it grow. God causes a crop to grow. Then that should take some pressure off us and maybe clarify a definition of success and failure for us. Third risk is simply this. It's misunderstanding. Not only will we encounter rejection and failure, but also misunderstanding. And I know you're super encouraged right now by this, where we're going. But this may, this, hang with me, this may surprise you when I say this, but I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about unchurched, unbelieving people. I'm talking about church people. 
I'm talking about other believers. It's one thing for an unbelieving, unchurched person to misunderstand what we have to say or what we say we believe or why we believe it or even to misunderstand our motives. We kind of sometimes expect that. But it's another thing when believers misunderstand us. And here's what, um, here's what I'm talking about because here's what will happen eventually. Trust me. Somewhere along the way as you engage in the process of cultivating these uh, relationships, somewhere along the way when you decide to start praying for unbelieving friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors, when you decide to offer your home as a place to get to know people when you are, who aren't yet followers of Jesus, for you and your spouse and your family to become committed to a, to, to a common passion and calling and approach like that, there will be believers who just don't understand that. They'll say things like, you're compromising. That you're, you're lowering your, your relational standards. You're associating with the wrong kinds of people. They're going to influence you. The, listen, this will probably happen because if you've been in church for any length of time, chances are you have some Pharisees in your circle of church friends. Okay? Maybe you're the Pharisee in the tur- circle of church friends. That's What will help us and encourage us in this process is to re- be reminded of the example of Jesus himself. I mean, Jesus hung out with sinners and social outcasts. Those were his inner circle. He loved them. He spent time with them. He ate with them. He didn't have a house to invite them to, so he went to their houses. And he got to know them. He was building relationships with them. And what happened? The religious people accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard, of associating with all kinds of sinners. And he was ceremonially unclean because he hung out with this person in that person's house. And they, they just couldn't accept this. But their perspective, these religious people, their perspective was all wrong, completely upside down. Think about this. They were accusing Jesus of lowering the standard, and he is the standard. So if Jesus was misunderstood by religious people, we can expect the same. Here's something I want you to keep in mind as you're cultivating your relationships with unbelievers. Just keep this in mind. As we engage in this process of cultivating relationships with unbelievers for the sake of relationship and with the hope that we can some through this process, live out the gospel in the context of that relationship, and that maybe we can play a part in bringing that friend, that family member into a relationship with Jesus. Remember, we don't know how long that process will take. I know you're hoping for, like, Christmas, but it may be a years-long process. We just don't know. We've got to be so full of grace and so full of forgiveness and full of mercy, and we just got to be patient with those whom God has placed in our lives. When questions come, when the crisis comes, when celebration comes, when they reach out for something that's real and something that's eternal, when we can be there to listen, to mourn, to celebrate, to encourage. What's really exciting to us and to me is that there are people sitting all around you this morning who understand this principle. Some of them are serving in Bar Harbor right now because they believe in this principle. And they not only understand the principle of cultivation, but they're actively engaged in cultivating relationships with friends, with family members, with coworkers. They're doing life with unbelieving, unchurched friends for the sake of relationship and with the hope that God will position them to encourage in the ups and the downs of life together, to encourage them in their pursuit of truth and to share the love of Jesus. They understand the power of a simple invitation. Because oftentimes the best way to take that relationship one step further along the process is to offer an invitation. And since Jesus commissioned us, the church, to be the vehicle by which people would experience him, oftentimes the best invitation is an invitation to church, an invitation for your friend to join you in experiencing church together. Here's the thing about invitation. Some of the best things in your life are the result of an invitation. Think about that. Your first date. 
your engagement and marriage and all that, a series of invitations. Some of your biggest regrets are the result of some invitations, and I don't need to offer any examples. An invitation is a powerful thing. Sometimes an invitation can be a life-changing thing. In fact, an invitation can change everything. Think about that. At some point, there was an invitation that was either accepted or rejected, and it was a pivotal point in your life. It changed the trajectory of our lives. It was a defining moment, that one invitation. So here's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time, because this is such a big deal. You may not realize this or believe this, but you have the power to change the trajectory of someone's entire life through a series of simple invitations. Doesn't matter what your education level is. Doesn't matter what, ne- what your network of friends looks like. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You have the power to change the trajectory of someone's life through a simple invitation. Think about this. Think about the time when someone invited you. Think about the time you accepted someone's invitation to come to church. For a lot of you, your first church experience was right here at Faith Community. For others, it was years ago in another church environment. And when you finally accepted the invitation and came, you expected it to be, you know, when you, you look around the room, and I know for a lot of you, this was your first church experience, and you expected your first time here for this to be old and outdated and completely irrelevant, and you expected it to be too big and too slick, which is kind of hard to believe, and you expected not to know anybody, and you expected to be singled out and be asked to fill out a bunch of paperwork and wear a ribbon or a silly hat or something because, like, you're the visitor, and you expected your kids to be bored and they thought it was weird, and you expected the music would be stuffy and unrelatable, you came mostly, let's be honest, to get this person off your back and they invited you out for lunch. That's why you came. But you came and then you came back and you kind of acquired a taste for it. And you didn't believe initially, you didn't believe everything that we believed, but it was helpful. So you decided, I think I'll go back for some more of that. And even though that might have been a while ago, when you think about it, you understand the power of an invitation maybe more than other people do because you've experienced it. And I know some of you don't understand this at all because you're like me, you grew up in church. And when you moved to this area, you visited a couple churches, you found us, you liked what you experienced, so you stayed, and we're glad you did. But even if you never received an invitation to church, because if you weren't invited, you know, you've just always been there, you can at least imagine what it'd be like to be an unchurched person and to be invited to church, but maybe you haven't experienced it. And if you haven't experienced it, that's not your fault, uh, but you aren't as naturally tuned in as to why we do what we do the way we do it, as if you'd been an unchurched person who came at someone's invitation. So I don't think there's anything more informative about why we do what we do the way we do it than for you to attend church with an unchurched person. And you see it through their eyes, and you hear it through their ears, and you feel it through their emotions. You experience church in a completely different way. And all of a sudden, the parking team is more important, and the host team and the lobby is more important, and the kids' check-in process is more important, and cleanliness and signage and safety and background music and seating and lighting are all more important. And, and of course, the teaching, you're, you're the topics we address, the language that we use, the tone that we take, you're like, I hope whoever's preaching today, I hope they're prepared. I hope they studied for a change, and I hope they hit a home run, and I hope they get the music right, and I hope that new song doesn't suck as bad as it did last week, and I, I, I hope we don't sing too long, cause, and I hope because, you know, what's-her-name's going to get pretty expressive, and that's kind of weird, and all of a sudden, all these details are magnified, and maybe for the first time, you start to understand why we do what we do the way we do it. And if you never have that experience, as much as you might love what we do most of the time, you probably don't fully get why we do the, what we do the way we do it. 
Listen, the key to us being and remaining a church that unchurched people like to attend is you. And your commitment to invite your unchurched friends and family and neighbors and coworkers. And here's why. Because inviters, when we're inviters, inviters critique and complain correctly. Here's what I mean. People who are inviting, actively engaged in that process of inviting people to church and bringing them with them, critique through the right lens, and they complain about the right things. Churchy insider people who never bring an unchurched person with them critique using the wrong criteria, and they complain about the wrong things. And and for us to be on mission and to be laser-focused on the right things, we need you, all of you, to be inviters, to just be an inviter. And if you're a church person and you haven't invited anyone to church for a long, long time, and your most creative suggestion for our church experience is to maybe add some more cross and angel-themed artwork on the walls, and your biggest question is, you know, when are we going to do an in-depth teaching series on Revelation and end-time prophecy? Never. And can't we sing some old hymns or even better, some songs from the 70s? Well, the problem is you're thinking like a church person, okay? But people who are actively inviting people to church, they don't think that way. They want it to be relatable and practical and short and helpful and positive and honest. They want their guests to walk away and go, wow, that is not what I was expecting. That was actually helpful for me. That was really encouraging. I don't even know that I believe everything you guys believe, but I came out of that with something, so I'm glad I came. Just want you to know that your leadership here, we don't don't want faith community to be the best church in our community because I don't even know, I don't know how you define that. We don't even want this to be the biggest church in our community, but we just want this to be a place where when you interact with, with the coworker or your friend or a family member who's hit a roadblock in their life, they've got a real crisis on their hands. For whatever reason, they're really uh, open to hearing about your faith journey. We want this to be a place where you're totally comfortable saying, oh, you ought to come to my church. You'd love it. I know you'd find it helpful. I know you'd find it positive. I know you'd find it encouraging. I, I, I know it would feed your soul. And it isn't even necessarily about the teaching for sure, or the music, or the kids' environments, or any of that stuff. Just come be around my friends at church. Just come hang out with these people. That's who we want to be. And the only way for us to stay there is for you to engage. Because I'm telling you, if you don't engage, if you don't buy into your mission, if you aren't actively inviting people to join you on Sunday mornings and to experience what you experience, you'll begin to complain. You'll, you'll cross that line, and you'll begin to complain about the wrong things and critique this church using the wrong criteria. And when we start to shift and adjust to keep all the church people happy, then we drift off mission, and the blessing of God leaves. So we know... Uh, that we have a couple obvious calendar-oriented opportunities to invite people to church. And uh, and you do. You do this at Christmas and Easter, right? I know you do because we put out extra chairs, especially at Easter time. On some level, I think January is another opportunity to invite people because they've just come out of this heightened religious season and they're thinking about that a little bit more and they're making these New Year's resolutions. And for us in our area, with our tourism-driven economy and our very short summer weather and all that, we know that fall is another natural season to invite people to church. We've found that to be true in our 20-plus years of doing this in this community there because people's summer routine and all the, the demands on their time, that, everything that comes with that, that's all done for another year. And we're getting back into the school year and we're trying to fall back into a routine and a rhythm of the season of some sorts. And we, we know this to be true because we've seen the attendance, except for today, because we kind of expected that today, we, that we've seen the attendance from mid-September to mid-October kind of come up. 
as, uh, as we've kind of come into these first few weeks of fall. So we've been talking about Friend Day on October 23rd, next Sunday, a day that we've set aside to be very intentional about inviting our unchurched friends to join us for a morning at church on a Sunday. We've been talking about this for the last four weeks about why we're doing this and how we're going about it. And we've, we've designed next Sunday uh, with your unchurched friends in mind. And we're expecting a huge crowd. We really are. We're going to set out some extra chairs. So we we'll hope you're doing your, your part in this process. We're committed to doing what we do with just a little more intentionality and a little more excellence. We want to fill this room. Can you imagine if everyone in this room, even today with a smaller crowd, if everyone in this room brings one person with them next Sunday? And since we've only got one week left before Friend Day, I want to help you with some pointers on the invitation, okay? Um, It's interesting, uh, somebody sent me a picture (laughs) this past week. I'm taking a risk here. So somebody uh, sent me a picture of one of these sitting on on a sink in a public bathroom in Ellsworth. First of all, it's not very helpful. You know why? Because it doesn't say on here what time the service is. Because these aren't meant to be pamphlets we drop from a plane. (laughs) These are meant to be a tool that you use in the context of a relationship, of a friendship. It's friend day. It's not stranger in a public bathroom day. (laughs) Hey, if that person comes out, great. They figure out the time. They go on the website. They can figure it out. But... My point is there's some things we need to listen for to be really effective in a way that we go about inviting people uh, to church next Sunday. So I want to give you a couple things to be listening for in a response to that, okay? Um, Because this is is, is as practical as it gets. Here's, Here's some things to listen for this week. Listen for these statements. Listen for not in church, not going well, not prepared for. Here's what I mean by that. Not in church, not going well not prepared for. When you hear, well, we're not in church right now. We've been pretty busy. We've been doing this and that. We've had a pretty bad experience at our last church and the church before that. So we're not in church right now. Or maybe you hear things at home aren't going well. Things with my kids aren't going well. Things at work aren't going well. We just got a bad test result. It's not good. Or maybe you hear, well, we just moved here and we just had the baby and the last of our kids just moved out and we've got these financial things and I just started a new job and we're just overwhelmed. Anytime you hear something like that in the context of a friendship, you just say, really? You should come to my church this Sunday. You're like, really? You'd say that? Yeah, I would. I've already done it. These poor guys who are working on our heating system. I tell you why, they're getting bombarded. Uh, <laughs> um, really? We should come to my church this Sunday. Let's say that together. Really? Okay, got to do that with a little, really? There you go. Really? Well, you should come to my church this Sunday. That's really bad. But uh, you're, we won't all, like 100 people, say it all at one time anyway, so that's fine. Doesn't matter who's preaching doesn't matter what the topic is, just invite them. Because honestly, the beauty of what you do week in and week out as volunteers in this church, these incredible environments that you are creating from the parking lot to the, 
to the Welcome Center, to our children's ministries and our media team and our band. It's these environments that you work so hard to create and pay for and staff where kids can't wait to come back and where adults count down to the weekend because they found a place where they're accepted and encouraged and poured into and their soul is fed. Just, just imagine what would happen in our community if we really did this, if we really listened for not in church, not going well, not prepared for. And we jumped in and said, well, you know, you know that I, I go to church as often as I can, and, and some of us are freaky enough. We're there every Sunday, and, and you should come. You should come with me this Sunday. And I hope you understand, we're not trying to, to grow this church to a certain size. We're not trying to just trying to get people in the seats. That's really not what we're about. It's not even really about Sunday morning. This is just the tip of the iceberg. It's about being people who are concerned about people who are far from God. That's who we want to be. We want to be people who are concerned about people who are far from God. Maybe those people in our lives who are far from God were once close to God and they drifted away. Or maybe they had a bad experience in church, so they walked away. And in walking away from the church, they walked away from God eventually. And maybe those people who are far from God are far from God because they've never taken a step towards Him. Or maybe getting them to come to church with you just once would be the very next step in their journey towards God, towards a relationship with their Heavenly Father. Or maybe it'd be the Sunday when they're finally ready to cross a line of faith and step into a real, living, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We just never know. We just don't know what hangs in the balance. And maybe we misunderstood and underestimated the power of an invitation. So to kind of bring this home, I sat down over a course of two or three Sundays after church and had some conversations with some people on camera, people who I know who are invited to church and God has done a work in their lives and is doing a work in their lives and the presence of God is very real uh, in their experience. And I wanted you to hear from them. So watch this. So let's talk about uh, the scenario around where you uh, were invited to come check out Faith Community All right. Well, it all stemmed back to uh, my brother-in-law having season tickets to the University of Maine hockey games. And we used to go every once in a while, and we always sat in Section V um, there at the games. And there was always a couple that were sitting behind us that... There was a very nice couple, and you know, I didn't know much about them. Actually, I didn't know anything about them. And we would, during in between periods, we'd sit and we would talk, um, just, just, just talk, you know, about anything. It was never anything religious, never anything about church. I didn't even know for the longest time that Bob was even a pastor, to be honest with you. And then one game was Saturday night. Bob just come out of the blue. He was like, "Hey, sometime you ought to check out my church." And I'm like, yeah, maybe someday. And I'm kind of looking at him like, yeah, right, as if that's going to happen. <laughs> Let's talk about who invited you and how long it took for you to actually come. Okay. Well, it was, uh, at the time, my girlfriend, Michelle Haslam, who invited me here uh, to come. Uh, Fifth Community was down at the Down East YMCA at that point in time. And I think it probably took me roughly about a week, maybe two to actually get the nerve up again to go to church. I was an atheist, a very much non-believer, self-centered, only focused on myself. And anytime I was asked to come to church, I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Why would anyone want me to come to church? Until I had a moment, life-changing moment, and then I pretty much invited myself, really, which did shock 
more than one person, and I've pretty much been here ever since. Yes, so uh, how many times do you think you declined your mom's invitation to come to church? I don't even dare to count. <laughs> I don't. Uh, who initially invited you to come to church back then? I always tell the story that it's Craig Cousins, and I'm almost positive it's Craig Cousins. Um, my wife and I were working at, at Walmart. Um, she was, I think, no, we'd already had Michaela, and um, Craig just kept inviting us to church. It was just something that Craig did, and, and to be honest, eventually it was just one of those things where it's like, fine, I'll come to church. Okay, so how many times do you think he invited you, and you said, yeah, sure, before you actually came? Uh, at least a handful, at least, I don't know, five or six, at least, before I finally just cracked and said, fine. All right, so tell me about your first invitation to come to this church now. I got invited to uh, Faith Felt Community Fellowship in my sixth grade math class. I teach sixth grade in Blue Hill, and one of my students brought up that, well, a radio station at first, they were talking about K-Love, a couple of them, and I said, oh, I know that song, I listen to that station a lot, and then they were like, oh, well, I go to really fun churches, you should come to my church, and then afterwards, Matthew Asbury came up to me and said, actually, I'm getting baptized this Sunday, you know, maybe you should come, check it out, and I said, really, I would love to come and see you get baptized, that would be amazing, um, so... I did get to come, and that was my first experience ever at this church. I'd been church hopping for a while and looking for a place that felt right um, with the Great Children's Program. It was really special, and I loved watching that special moment in his life. But I think it was really great of him to invite me um, at a public school. It's not like it's a Christian school or anything, and so I was really glad he felt comfortable doing that, and I was really touched. Why did you finally come back? If I were to be honest, yes. Well, at, at the time, at, at the time, it was it was so that Craig would leave me. <laughs> but there was a little bit of us, I think, at the same time that wanted to go, but we didn't know where to go. We didn't know how to choose, and um, we I don't think we knew at the time initially that uh, the staples were were there. And uh, once we did go, I think that feeling that I initially had quickly dissipated because there were there were comfortable people here that I that that we knew, and then there was the uh, the, the the sermon that you did, but we won't. Just what was the one takeaway from that sermon? I'm curious. Like what was the one thing that stands out in your mind? Tommy Boy. What Tommy Boy? What? You played a clip from Tommy Boy okay. in the what service. The I don't remember the application. I remember All I know is that it was Tommy Boy, and I was like. I'm here. We're done. Uh, let's see. He he might have invited me a couple of times, and each time I was kind of like, yeah, sure. It was like, someday you'll see me sitting in the audience. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, I got myself up. I looked at Faith, and I said, you know, I think we ought to go to church today. And she was kind of like... Are you sure? <laughs> what caused you to come back? Friendly. Everybody welcomed everybody in. There was no, well, you're this type of person or you're that type of person. There's none of that. Um, no prejudice against anybody. Everybody was so friendly and, and likable. I think it, the, it was funny. It was almost like the first the first time I sat here in the, in the auditorium. It was almost like... Bob was actually preaching that day. 
and it was almost like he was speaking to me, you know, and he's, I think, I don't know if it was that particular Sunday or if it was the next Sunday, just he stirred something in me, and I was like, you know what, I have to, I have to accept Jesus again, I have to do this, and I, he, it was like an altar call or whatever you want to call it, and I stood up and gave my life to Jesus again after probably 20 years of not being in a church or near a church. What would you say to encourage someone about or is hesitant to invite someone to church? Um, step out, ask, invite, put yourself out there, be humble because they will eventually the people. God is a funny way of straightening our messy lives right out. It seems like such a trick question. Just do it. Just, just you know, just just walk up to a person and say, "Come to church this Sunday with me." You know. Well, in all honesty, well, in all honesty, my, my, my first response would be, "It's fun." You know, church isn't what you think it is anymore, especially here. It's not. It's it's fun. You know, it's uh, it's it's building new relationships. It's. Um, I don't know. It, it's just fun. It's, it's not boring anymore. <laughs> You've just got to go out there and, and do it. And say, what are you doing on a Sunday morning? And if they say, well, nothing, well, here's a church that we go to. And invite them. I would say, just do it. The worst they can say is no. Uh, you know, like I said, I turned Bob, I don't want to say I turned him down, but I, you know, I was just kind of like, yeah, sure. Right, I'll be there. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not really the churchy kind of person. Um, whether they are or not, I, you can't, it doesn't hurt to ask. It really doesn't. Awesome. It actually encouraged yeah. me to reach out to other people because I had a great experience accepting his invitation. I thought, hey, maybe someone's just waiting to be invited. Well, it was scary for me to invite some people because I didn't want to seem pushy. I didn't want to have that religious label. Um, but then I was also like... Maybe they're needing that little extra invitation. Maybe they'd like to come have coffee with me. Maybe they'd like to listen to music. And um, so I guess it was just being braver than you are scared because God needs messengers. So I say go for it. Yeah, let's, let's give a hand to those people that sat down and had this conversation. Thank you. Let me ask you a question, then I'm done. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to extend an invitation? The answer to the question is no, you don't. But here's what we do know. That most, if not all, of the defining moments in our lives, there was an invitation involved. And we have no idea what hangs in the balance to finally give up, uh, get up the courage to finally Ask that friend to hang out, that you hang out with all the time, that you have so much in common with, except for the faith thing, except for the church thing, and to ask again for the 40th time. We have no idea what hangs in the balance. And if you're part of this church and you're here because someone invited you, you're not mad at that person. You're not offended at that, that they asked you to come to church, not anymore. You're grateful for that person. You're grateful that, that, that they had the courage to do that. They're a significant part of your faith journey. And there's somebody in your future who would be grateful for you if you will cultivate that relationship and if you'll be intentional enough and if you'll get up the courage to invite them to come experience church with you. 
Think about it. You have the opportunity to be part of a process that changes the entire trajectory of someone's life. In the life of their children, in the life of their grandchildren, and everybody that they influence. Simply because of an invitation. And by inviting and making inviting a part of your lifestyle, it keeps us as a church on track. You'll critique us by the right criteria. You'll complain about the right things. In the meantime, we have no idea what hangs in the balance. So next Sunday's Friend Day. Here's what we're going to do. Before the kids come back in, we're going to take a minute right now to pray about Friend Day. Specifically, we're going to pray for the people that you've invited or intend to invite this week. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you, if you're comfortable doing this, and if you're not, but you're willing to try it, um, no, I'm not going to manipulate anything, but I would encourage you to get in a, with a group of people near you. Let's do three, four people. Maybe one or two people in the group can pray. Let's pray for one another that will take the initiative to follow through because we've got, you know, we've each picked up 40 of these postcards and they've been still sitting in the cup holder in our car. And this is the week to follow through and that we'll act with courage and boldness. Let's pray that God would work in the hearts of the people that we want to invite, that God will bring the right people into our, across our paths. Let's pray that God will work in our service here next Sunday, that people far from Him would take a step closer to Him and, and, and a step closer to a relationship with their Heavenly Father, that they begin a relationship with Jesus right here next Sunday. So let's pray about those things. Let's get together, just take a few minutes to pray. We're going to play some music. Let's pray.